It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mets fans, welcome to episode 281 of Mason Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site at Mason Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the Mets have gone two and two since we last spoke. That's, I guess, okay. <laughs> it's uh, it's been a weird season, folks. And to talk about that weird season, I am joined by Chris McShane and Allison McCaig to talk about Ahmed Rosario, the rotation. The last four games, and to play an epic game of Would You Rather. You don't want to miss this, trust me. Stay tuned. Well, Chris, Allison, we are, uh, the last time we spoke, the uh, we were hoping for a better two series for the Mets, and on one hand we got it. The Mets split their last two series, uh, both two-game series, and uh, both involving one very fun win and one very maddening loss so do you guys feel any better about the team than we did a week ago do you feel the same do you feel worse allison we'll, we'll be gentlemen and let, and let you go first here what do you think i think i feel the same 
<laughs> I think, like, I don't know. I mean, the the 12-2 to 2 win was certainly wonderful. Um, but kind of like the Homer-Bailey game, it was kind of like a case of them beating up on bad pitching. And I don't know how, like, super indicative that is of, like, the team getting a lot better or the offense finally escaping the doldrums because you know, the very next day they went back to doing the same thing they had been doing against a better pitcher, so. But not a, like, a, an ace-caliber pitcher anymore. J-Hap is not what right. he used to be. Sure, They didn't, they didn't yeah. get almost blanked by, uh, you know, by Kershaw or something. Right, <laughs> which is troubling. Yeah. Chris, what about you? How you feeling? Uh, about the same. I mean, I'm now in a spot that they're 4-1 and one in games that I've been to. Hmm. So uh, I'm not really actually superstitious anymore, but I will repeat something that I think I've said on the podcast already. If anyone would like to just hand me tickets as a good luck charm, I'm willing to take the chance. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's... Uh, I went 10-2 and two one, these, one season. Damn. Wow. That's pretty good. I think was it, it was, a bad season? Yeah, I think it was 2011. So wow. <laughs> it accounted for a fair amount of their wins at home. Yeah, that, that is... like half their home wins. Yeah. Yeah, that's barely possible. <laughs> I, I think I might have gone to four or five games on the road that year. So maybe it wasn't all, you know, city wins, nice. but still. Yeah, I still, uh, the San Diego series is still longer uh, for me in, in the ledger. Um, three out of the five games so far. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I think going into the what wound up being the abbreviated series in Philadelphia, um, I had been rather sarcastic in writing up that preview of that series uh just you know talking about people getting to uh conclusions based on what had been transpiring uh over the last week or several weeks really at that point uh i have major concerns and and we'll get to the most major of those in a you know a few minutes but I keep going back to it. When things are going poorly, uh, you can fall back on the two wild card format, kind of making it that you don't have to be the best team in baseball or even the best or second best team in your division uh, to contend. And I don't know. I think I think there's enough that has gone poorly that it's not unrealistic to think this team can hang around 500. And if you hang around 500 and have one more run like they did, um, you know, get right back into the mix for some form of postseason spot. So, uh, you know, I'm not looking to bet uh, thousands of dollars on the Mets making the playoffs (laughs) at this point. But I also don't think, uh, you know, it's impossible that it happens. Um, And, you know, I think I had said that much like the – winning stretch to start the season was treated with skepticism. The extreme losing should be treated with skepticism. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's not a lot, but two and two against, um, you know, the Phillies and Blue Jays when both of those teams are, I'd say, legitimate wildcard contenders at least. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the Blue Jays have a tougher division to play in right now, but, uh, you know, it's not nothing. It's not emphatically... You know, hey, yes, they're they're back, they're awesome. But when you had things go the way they did, and to ground through one inning, uh, and and you mm. came out of both of those two and two, 
Um, you know, they've they've had worse times. Some of them very recently. Yeah, I, uh, I I guess I feel about the same as you guys. You know, I it was um, that twelve to two game was was a lot of fun. Obviously, uh, I had to recap the twelve to one game that followed, which was considerably less fun. But that was also a, a case of you know, and I'm not making an excuse for Zach Wheeler here, because there was that long delay when they were getting the field playable. He went something like a half hour without throwing a pitch, and came out of that just you know out of rhythm and not not able to execute the way he was early in the game. And I'm not saying the Mets would have won that game if there wasn't that delay. I'm not saying that at all. But it's it's a mitigating factor in that game. So I don't feel so bad about that game just because it it, it sort of came about through, you know, unusual circumstances. I think that what Chris said, there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that, in that, you know, Another, if they can stick around 500 and go on another, you know, 10 and one or 11 and two, whatever run later in the season, that 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 puts them in wildfire contention. What gives me hope about that is that no real offensive player, and I said this last week, I believe, no offensive player aside from Cabrera has really caught fire yet. And you have to believe that one or two of their pieces will catch fire in the next few weeks. I guess I should put Nimmo in that category too. He doesn't play a lot, but whatever he does, you know, he's doing quite well. So if if you think, you know, if Bruce or Cespedes or Conforto gets hot for a couple of weeks and carries the team a little bit, well, that's that that makes me feel a whole lot better about the way things stand. I'm still very worried about the starting pitching, but I think that I'm not quite out of hope yet, but I will say that there have been five or six games in the last month that the team has looked as bad as any Mets team I can remember in recent memory. And that is really alarming. Yeah, I think that I think that Chris is right in the sense that I could very easily see this team just going 500 until July, and then like they're sticking around, they're sticking around, you know, and for you know for them to play somewhat meaningful games down the stretch. But my my biggest concern is that you know a similar thing happened in 2015, right? And this is looking kind of a lot like the 2015 Mets, except there's no Cespedes coming and there's no get all our guys back from the disabled list coming. And that's my biggest concern is that like 2015, the roster at the end looked completely different than the roster during the first half when they were struggling. And we're not making a trade like that again, because we don't have the pieces to make a trade like that again. And so it's just like, I, I like I will I love the idea of sticking around to be able to make a push, but it's like where is that extra oomph gonna come from? I just don't see it. And in 2015, there was only really one team in the division that was better than us that happened to collapse while we were climbing the ladder. Whereas this year, there are probably three teams in the division that are just as good as, if not better, than we are. Yeah, I will say that I think that the Phillies are probably playing a bit above what they're going to be playing at the rest of the season right now. Um, but again, I, I've you know I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if, if they are a better team than folks thought. I will just say this. <coughs> excuse me. Say this about 2015 though. I think it's easy to look back on 2015 and talk about how how Cespedes came in and and saved the day, and in so many ways he did. 
But we didn't see that trade coming earlier in the season either. It wasn't like that was a foregone conclusion. So, um, you know, are there players out there that could help the Mets? Absolutely. Are there players out there who could help the Mets in July? Absolutely. But like you said, Allison, I don't know if we have the pieces necessarily to get one of those impact players. But I also don't know if this team is going to require a player as impactful as Cespedes. You know, or if there will be uh, more minor upgrades that can be made in in July and maybe even in August that will fill some of those, you know, spots in the Mets that that are there's small enough upgrades that we don't need the big package to land somebody. Yeah, yeah. Right I think now, we're going to we need, need a fifth starter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, <laughs> immediately if you want fifth starters, fine. If you want to know where the uh, the the tone has gone as we're recording, the uh, one of the folks from the Daily News tweeted out the back page tomorrow, and they photoshopped Degrom and Syndergaard into Yankees jerseys. Oh God! For the full back page, saying, "Can you deal? Mets might need to face facts and trade Degrom or Thor, and Yankees are an ideal partner." Like, uh, no, nope. Oh my God! I think I just threw up in my mouth. Yeah, that's but yeah, that, that's. That, that I think that's a good um, indication of how uh, off the rails the conversation has gone. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of bad. Um, yeah, but we can talk about the rotation, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chris, Chris wrote something today about how the Mets have two aces and they still have a terrible rotation, and that's uh, that's an astute point. So, Chris, well, why don't you why don't you walk us through your general feeling about the rotation? as it stands on uh, May 17th. Well, yeah, so sort of fitting into the overall theme here of, you know, finding things, whether they're internal or external, they get better. Um, you know, Conforto is obviously a better hitter than this. Uh, if you have some concern because of the injury he had and, you know, the fact that he came back so quickly relative to what was expected and, and you know, what's the long-term effects of the injury and surgery – Okay, fine. You know, that's that's warranted. But his performance itself, we know he's capable of more. Um, same goes for Jay Bruce, really. Uh, you know, I think Adrian Gonzalez has probably exceeded expectations but not been, uh, you know, phenomenal. He, he's been okay, you know, a little bit better than league average as a hitter. Uh, you know, like a good week or two away from being Duda-ish uh, overall with the bat, which is not... An insult. Uh, we, <laughs> I think we've established how much we appreciated Lucas Duda in his time with the Mets. But, um, yeah, the, that stuff seems to me like it's pretty easy to explain. You know, hey, Bruce, Conforto uh, are probably better hitters than this. Um, even Cespedes is probably a better overall hitter. You know, he had that long stretch where he was driving in a lot of runs, but the line is a little lower than he would like. Um, you know, we know what he's capable of, uh, as long as he's on the field. Um, but the, the rotation is the thing that concerns me the most because it's, you know, part of this is stuff that I wrote. And I think some of it is stuff that, not that I didn't think it, but I think folks had pointed out, um, you know, in the comments, you have, uh, Syndergaard and DeGrom, or DeGrom and Syndergaard, if you want to rank them, uh, you know, in the, in the order that everybody perceives them in right now. 
and they've thrown 47% of the innings of the starting pitchers. Now, part of that has been ineffectiveness. You know, it's not just that, oh, they, they're starting these two guys every third day and nobody else is pitching. Part of it's just that they've lasted longer in games than the other guys. But but they've thrown a disproportionate number of innings, and yet the rotation ranks 20th in baseball and ERA. Uh and and they've and Syndergaard's been good despite people somehow thinking he's not anymore uh, for some reason. And then you know Degrom has been just phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I just don't know. You know where does it come from? Uh, and, and getting back to the point that people were making, uh, I think in the comments was even if Mass and Wheeler become a little more, you know, good more often than bad. Nobody thinks that either one of them is going to throw, you know, 200 innings. I mean, most people would probably take the under if you set it way lower than 200 innings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, my my concern is that, you know, one, do Wheeler, Mads, Vargas get better uh, to a point that, you know, you can win more of the games that they start than they currently are. Uh, and then two, even if they do, how long do they last? So, it, the, the spot I go for the answer is probably Flexen, Oswalt, uh, whomever comes up and, you know, didn't have a whole ton of prospect type, but comes up and just is good at the major league level. Um, Pulls it a grom. Yeah. And even, even Harvey was, you know, he was a prospect. He wasn't like a nobody, but he wasn't considered to be a better prospect than Wheeler when he came up. You know, so Harvey and DeGrom come up and are, you know, ace-level pitchers right away. Um, the Mets don't necessarily need that, but they need, you know, that legitimate number three type starter performance from somebody, whether it's Lugo, Gazelman, who are, you know, transitioned from the bullpen back into starting, or one of those minor league guys. So, I don't know. Do either of you have any any solutions? Yeah, Allison mentioned earlier, you know, the... Uh, sort of the weird situation they're in in terms of acquiring somebody. Um, I don't know if they have something to get a pitcher who makes a major difference. Uh, maybe we'll yeah. be pr- proven wrong, but uh, any solutions out there that, that give you hope? I mean, I am of the pretty strong opinion that Seth Lugo should be in the rotation like yesterday. Um, I mean, just just through the fact that he pretty much earned it out of spring training, and then they got sufficient off days such that they didn't need to use the fifth starter for a while. And then by the time they didn't need to use it, they were like, oh, Zach Wheeler, we're going to call him up and he's going to be fine. And I mean, early on, he was fine. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying they should replace Wheeler with Lugo necessarily. I'm saying that they should give Vargas one, maybe two more starts. And if he continues like this, they can't keep putting him out there. And they should switch Lugo into the rotation. I think that he's earned it at this point. And I think that of the two, meaning Lugo and Gazelman, the two converted um, starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, I think Lugo is more likely to be successful converting back to a starting pitcher. And I say that because both Lugo and Gazelman have benefited from increased velocity on their pitches um, because they're throwing shorter stints. Um, at a time, and I think Gazelman benefits more from that because he's more reliant on his fastball than Seth Lugo, whose plus pitches his curveball. So I think that Seth Lugo transitioning back to the rotation could potentially help the team. And they don't have to keep him there, you know, if he 
comes back and he doesn't do well, they can put him back in the bullpen and then call up a Flexen or an Oswalt for that spot. But I think the first solution should be Seth Lugo. That's just my opinion. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that opinion necessarily. Lugo scares me because of the partial tear. Yeah, he's a ticking time bomb. <laughs> and uh, it seems like I, I'm sure there's no difference in terms of uh, danger throwing out of the bullpen versus the starting rotation in terms of what's more likely to pop that that ligament completely uh, apart as opposed to just a partial tear. But it just feels like it's uh, it just feels like it's somehow more dangerous than him in the rotation. Whereas, and also Gazelman has more uh, success from the rotation than than Lugo does. Um, although, mm-hmm. although the, the pop in velocity is certainly a uh, a beneficial thing for uh, you know for Gazelman out of the bullpen, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think at this point you have to look at it that the Mets have a number three starter somewhere between Lugo, Gazelman, Wheeler, Mats, and Vargas. One of them is good enough is going to have to be good enough to be their number three starter going forward for the rest of the year. So if you're looking to trade for somebody, you're not looking to necessarily go for, again, I said this before, you know, an ace, you're looking for somebody who can fill out the back end of the rotation. And I think the Mets probably have the prospects or the uh, the sort of mid-level major leaguers to flip for a number four, number five starter in July. Um, will that set their world on fire? No, but shoring up the back end of the rotation to me is is a severely needed thing right now. It's it's really frustrating to watch a Mets game that isn't started by DeGrom or Syndergaard right now because you yeah. just have no idea what you're going to get. Yeah. And I think the real problem with Vargas has been, I mean, not only has he been completely ineffective, it's just that he was supposed to be the innings eater. Right. And because he's been so bad, he's pitching three innings at a time. And that's the really, really big problem is that it's taxing on the bullpen. Um, who is already sort of taxed to begin with. The the problem, I mean, okay, obviously he's been completely awful, but even if he were slightly less awful, even if he just, you know, even if he gave up like five runs a game or whatever, if he threw seven innings every time, then that would almost be fine. But the fact that he's just like getting shellacked and then having to leave in the third inning every time, that's the really big issue. We don't have any innings eaters besides DeGrom, really. Because even Syndergaard, despite the fact that he's been good, and I have no I have no complaints about Syndergaard, but he hasn't gone deep into games this year so much. Um, DeGrom's really the only one that's gone deep into games out of everyone. Yeah, the, the thing that sparked all of that, uh, you know, just writing something about the rotation was tweeting last night that, you know, sarcastically... Uh, I was thrilled that the Mets hadn't even given Bartolo a chance on a minor league deal when now he would be the third best pitcher on the team uh, by like easily. <laughs> People got really mad at you. For that. They did. And I was like, what's People the way? People were very mad online. I was like, I thought we already, uh, I thought we all agreed on very few things, but one of them was that we love Bartolo. Uh, and this like, podcast I have advocated for not only bringing in Bartolo, but also R.A. Dickey. Who maybe yeah, could be convinced to come out of retirement. That I should have brought that up as my uh, you know, solution tonight. You know, hey, R.A., uh, we have some money. Well, maybe that's... No, we don't. Maybe, 
Maybe that. Maybe that's the Star issue. Wars bobbleheads. We know you love Star Wars already. <laughs> Come on out and pitch for us. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, I was just uh, like a little taken aback by the. Um, you know, plenty of people uh, agree, but the vitriol that comes your way, saying like the Mets should have brought Bartolo Colon to spring training on a deal that cost them nothing. Like, yeah. oh, he was old and bad. Oh, thanks, everybody. I didn't have baseball reference in front of me for the last, you know, 15, 20 years, whatever it's been. Didn't stop them from bringing Adrian Gonzalez in for nothing. And he was old and bad. Or yeah, Jason was... Vargas, who's never been good and is old. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, so all, all of that. So I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to write specifically about that. But I am just going to sit down and, and remind everybody that the Mets front office thought the rotation was fine, did the bare minimum. Oh, we Jason Vargas for two years for some reason. Sixteen million dollars. I'd rather one. I, I know this doesn't make sense, but like I'd rather one twelve than two sixteen with him, just because. Yeah. Like I'm already envisioning. Uh, I mean, if he doesn't get it together, then they can't do this. Uh, but I'm already envisioning the winter of like, well, Manny Machado's a great player, but we have Todd Frazier at third base. And uh, I don't know who the free agent pitchers even are, but free agent pitcher A is, uh, you know, he's nice, but we have Jason Vargas. Yeah, I, I'm <clears throat> building, that. that's where I'm setting my expectations, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here in the season that can go a million different ways. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I don't know why people hate the concept of bringing back Bartolo uh, when everybody else who sucked last year was kept around and nobody complained about that. Yeah. I'm mad about... Sorry, go ahead, Allison. I'm mad about my guy that I really wanted was Chassin, and he signed for, like, the same amount of money as Vargas, and he's been fine, and I'm really mad about that. (laughs) I know that, like, there was no way of predicting, because there's other guys that people wanted, like... Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn and they've both been dreadful so it's kind of just like you know I just got lucky I'm not going to pretend that I knew Chassin would be better than these other choices but that's the guy I really wanted for some reason I was like hung up on it I was like I think Chassin would be perfect and he has like a 3.6 ERA and I'm like god damn it and in defense of Cobb and Lynn I think not having spring training has been shown to be uh, a significant issue Cobb sure, is yeah, kind of, he's turned a corner. I think he's got three starts now in a row uh, that, that were good, uh, good yep. to great. Uh, Lynn, Lynn has not <laughs> turned that corner yet. I um, cut him from my fantasy team yesterday, finally. I was like, oh, I got to cut bait. I can't keep doing this. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just about there as well. Because I came in, I'm like, all right, this is good. But there was some stuff about him last year that um, may have indicated that he wasn't going to be quite as good as he used to be. Um you know, going forward, but I'll still yeah. fantasy wise, right move, uh, real life. I'm still curious to see how it plays out. Um, you know, with yeah. the guy who didn't have, uh, spring training in the conventional sense. Uh, and it's, yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's the worst part is that if you have an extreme defender of the Mets front office and like, I think I'm pretty, it, it takes a good amount for me to get very critical <laughs> So if I'm calling somebody an extreme defender of the team, I think that's uh, that's saying something. But you know, if you have somebody who <laughs> who's coming at it from that stance, uh, it they love to be like, oh well, Cobb and Lynn suck, and you all wanted them. Uh, you know, that's 
that that's not really the point. One, they like I'm saying, they could easily both end up being better right, than than you know Vargas or Wheeler or Mats. Um, but you know, we we have a decent amount of information in front of us. But you know, why was it when Bartolo? Uh, I forget who the other player was. But some other player went on the record and said, oh, yeah, Bartolo told me he'd go back to the Mets on a minor league deal. And the Mets were, like, publicly, like, nah. Ugh. Like, we don't have an army of scouts or, you know, uh, servers that only do baseball, uh, you know, the game, not not the office, but, like, the baseball analytical stuff. We don't have any of that. And, you know, we sentimentally may have wanted Bartolo back and said, hey, you never know. Uh, But what was there preventing uh you know front office from doing something that that had no risk you know was it just did they write him off the same way that people are like oh well he was old and bad so that's it he was old and bad when he was like 36 or 7 or whatever it was you know <laughs> yeah they kept Jose Reyes who was, was old and bad for 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 mentorship purposes, it's like um, Bartolo couldn't have done that for the pitchers. He's right. like a second pitching coach. And 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 you know, I'm not I'm not uh, looking back. And I wanted him back. And 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 it's you know not looking back now and saying oh they should have signed him for like Jason Vargas's contract. No, no, they, they, no. <laughs> if he came and was like I'll come in his spring training, and then you only have to pay me if it, if I end up you know, making the big league team. I just don't understand why they didn't give him a chance. And Hey, from here on out the rest of the season, he could have a seven ERA, but you know, yeah, who knows? It's just an example of, uh, you know, not, not giving yourself options, uh, and pretending that there was depth that anybody could see wasn't there. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the nice things about that twelve two route against the uh, Blue Jays was that uh, Ahmed Rosario had a really nice game, and he seems to be coming around a little bit offensively. Um, Allison, you just wrote up a nice big piece about him today. Tell us mm-hmm. what's your overall impression of Rosario at the quarter season mark. So um, I think that there's been, and I kind of wrote the piece in reaction to just like a lot of what I've seen around like somewhat in the Mason Avenue comments, but more so on like Mets Twitter about like Ahmed Rosario being a bust and, you know, he's, he was completely overhyped and he's been disappointing and all these things. And I just felt like it was way too much to lay on the guy who's only played 83 games in the big leagues. Um, so I decided to take a look, a deeper dive into, um, you know, what, how he's performed so far. Um, and yeah, those who expected him to come up and be immediately Carlos Correa level. Awesome. were going to be disappointed. Um, but you know, I think that he has proven that his defense is, you know, as advertised, um, he's been a great defensive player. He's made a couple of miscues, but I think that that's been more of, um, you know, a, 
like a, an adjustment to playing at big league level pace rather than, you know, actual shortage when it comes to him not being ready or uh, his development or whatever. Um, he's, he goes really, really, really far to his left and his plays up the middle have been fantastic. So I think his defense is, you know, hard to argue. He hasn't been an upgrade over what we've seen at shortstop for the past many years since like young Jose Reyes, basically he's been shortstop our best defensive. Flores. Yeah, right. Ruben Tejada, all the variations of shortstops that we've had that have been slower than you would think they'd be. Um, <laughs> Ahmed Rosario has been a really nice breath of fresh air to watch defensively. Um, with the bat, he, you know, you we knew that his plate discipline was a problem, and that was obviously the biggest part of his development that's still lacking, and that has played out at the major league level. He strikes out too much. Um, he doesn't walk enough. He's only walked like like four times this whole season um and he hasn't walked at all in the month of may zero times um but there are reasons to be optimistic about him um and you alluded to the game in toronto where he seems to have finally broken out and that's not it's not just that game he's been hot with the bat for a good 10 days now um and his uh his even though he's not walking enough still his chase rate is down from what it was last season um, his con- so therefore his contact percentage is up. So he's actually striking out less. He's not walking anymore, but he's making more contact and he's making more hard contact. His hard contact percentage is up and his exit velocity is up. So even though uh, we still wish, I think the biggest gap in his game still is taking more pitches and taking more walks, but I can be encouraged by the fact that he's making more quality contact of the baseball and that's playing out. In the past couple of weeks, he's hitting like um, 397 or something like that. Um, and so, and he narrowly missed his first home run of the year in that Toronto game. He had a double that hit the orange stripe at the top of the fence um, that they had to review and decide it was not home run. Um, so I think that there's a lot to be encouraged by Ahmed Rosario. And I think that, you know, he he was called up really early and didn't spend too much time at AAA. He's just 22 years old, and I think Mets fans need to chill out a little, little bit about Ahmed Rosario and just you know let him you know figure it out. And I, the Mets show no indication that they're going to bench him or you know other than the occasional benching for Jose Reyes inexplicably. But you know what I mean. Like yeah. they're going to let him continue to start, continue to get the at bats, figure it out at the big league level, which I think is the right thing to do. I don't think he has really much left to learn in Vegas. I know that people are saying his development is incomplete, but Vegas is really a shit place to learn um, a lot of things um, because you can't really trust the hitting stats that come out of there. Um, as far as in- infield defense, it's terrible because it's basically like concrete out in the desert, like learning to play infield defense on concrete. So I really think that, you know, the Mets are actually doing the right thing with Ahmed Rosario and letting him play. And, you know, sometimes letting the young kids play is the better move rather than like plugging holes with a bunch of washed up old guys. Shocker. I can't imagine being a Mets fan who looks at this team and decides that the problem I have that I have to speak out about is Rosario. Right. That seems absurd to me. Right. Oh, and the one thing that I forgot to mention is um, he's actually been super successful out of the nine hole. So he's had the vast majority of his at-bats in the ninth spot this season. And actually, if you and, – and I'm not one to, you know, 
this is obviously all small sample size and it's hard to draw any hard conclusions on it. But if you remove his at bats out of places, not in the nine hole this season, he actually has a 94 WRC plus, which is a perfectly acceptable number for a defense first shortstop. I can't argue with any of that, Chris, can you? Uh, no. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm on board with that, and I still, you know, kind of stand by thinking that he can be a really great player, um, you know. And as Allison, you know, mentions in the piece, you have a guy come up at a time that you know all these superstar uh, shortstops came up and just hit the ground running. Um, and sometimes I hate to go back. <clears throat> to this uh, thought because I'm not you're not always saying no, not always. You're never saying that the guy you're talking about is going to be this guy. But the fact that Mike Trout came up <laughs> nobody's going to be Mike Trout. That, that, that's that's certainly not the point. You're not Chris making... is saying Ahmed Rosario is Mike Trout confirmed. <laughs> Mike Trout but he can play tr- shortstop, yes. <laughs> Trout for Rosario, who says no? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, just that's an example that it maybe is the best example that no matter how good a guy ends up being, it's possible that he struggles when he first comes up. Yeah, I yeah. I talk about in the piece. I talk about like even if you don't want to compare him to these superstar shortstops, fine, throw that away. Don't compare him to Correa and Lindor and those guys. Just you don't have to look further than your own team. Think about young Jose Reyes. I was just going to say that. In 2004, he looked pretty much exactly like the type of guy that Ahmed Rosario looks like now, except maybe with more stolen bases. That's about it. He had about a 70-80 WRC+. Plus. He, was, he was striking out a ton, and you know he hadn't figured it out yet because he was a young player, very young when Jose Reyes came up. How old was he when he came up? Young. Like 20. He was 20, maybe? Yeah, so even younger than Rosario is now. And so, you know, I feel like, and we all know the player that Jose Reyes became. And in 2005, um, he started to come out a little bit. And then, like, finally, in t- like, in 2005, I think he put up 1.7 FOR. And then in 2006, it was his, like, was his first big season. He had, like, over five. He was worth over five war. So if you think about, like, just being patient with Ahmed Rosario this season, I'm not saying he'll immediately put up five war next season, but, you know, being patient has its virtues. And I think that if we look at the career arc of Jose Reyes, I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation for someone like Ahmed Rosario. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. I I think... I think you're spot on. Um, Rosario has been one of the few b- consistent bright spots defensively for the team this year. And yeah. uh, it would be nice to have him hit a little bit more. And, you know, I'm rooting for that. But ultimately, a, if he's a defense, defense first shortstop and he's not an embarrassment out there, then that's, uh, that's fun by me. Yep. You don't have to put up huge offensive numbers at shortstop if you play good defense to be valuable. Exhibit A, Andrelton Simmons. He was never like a star with the bat, but he put up extremely valuable numbers. Like he was worth a lot 
because he played great defense. And I mean, I'm not saying that Ahmed Rosario is not going to put up good numbers with the bat. I think he could, but I'm saying that he doesn't need to be as good with the bat as Correa, Lindor, or Seager to be valuable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you guys ready to have some fun? Sure. Uh, I've been having fun. Oh, well, <laughs> let's, let, let's turn the fun up a notch then. We got okay, an email yes. from our friend uh, <laughs> Flushtown Fandom, and he has a series of would-you-rathers for us. So, um, Yay! Would you guys rather, A, have an unlimited wardrobe of Mets slash seven-line gear, or B, a wicked cool memorabilia collection rivaling the Mets Museum at City Field? I'm going B every single time. <laughs> I, the, Allison, I'll let uh, you... Yeah, you can go next. Okay. Um, I'm actually going with the wardrobe because I, I, I think that Flushtown probably predicted that I would say that because I'm like <laughs> I'm like that person that has a thousand Mets shirts. So I'm kind of already there with that. And really the only memorabilia I have is like bobbleheads. So I think it's clear where my priorities are. Yeah, I would uh, join Brian with the... Second option, I don't have a house. I don't have any desire to have a house. Uh, but in this hypothetical situation, I might be convinced to have one. If I could have a World Series trophy and some gold gloves and, uh, you know, things of that nature, to use Sandy Alderson's, uh, one of his go-to phrases. So, I, I would love to have, I'm sure you've both been in the Mets Hall of Fame Museum. I would love to have that original creepy Mr. Met head. And just, oh my yeah, god! Just leave it in my window to fuck with the neighborhood <laughs> kids. You know that would be, be funny. Uh, yeah. So that's where I go. All right. Second question: uh, Would you rather spend a weekend binge watching Friends with Wilmer Flores, or enjoy a private luxury box at City Field for one game with close friends and family? Chris, start us off. Uh, the weekend with Flores watching Friends and. I've seen a lot of Friends. I'm certainly not like a diehard Friends fan, but that is like I think you could probably knock out the whole series if you really pushed the limits of how much you sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that would just be a cool experience. And I can go to a game at City Field with close friends and family anytime, and we don't need a luxury box to enjoy it. So, yeah. I think I'm with you, Chris. I think I will take the watching Friends with Flores. And this was actually a tough decision for me because I really don't like Friends. But I really, <laughs> really like Wilmer Flores. So, and like you said, I think it's like the, the Flores, meeting, getting to meet Flores and hanging out with him and doing an activity he enjoys is like a once in a lifetime. Whereas going to City Field, even though the luxury box sounds nice, going to City Field with friends and family is a thing that I can theoretically do anytime, even though it's not so much anytime anymore now that I don't live that close to it, um, which made the decision even harder because now it's like not an easy thing for me to do. But I think I'll still pick Flores because that's like a once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, and I, I have friends who can, you know, quote every line of The Simpsons. I'm pretty close to that with Seinfeld. Um, I, I'm ashamed that I'm not more on on top of my game with The Simpsons lines. But I'd love to be there and just hear one more floor as out of nowhere just start, you know, talking and, and quoting as the episode is going on with random lines. I think that That'd would be, be so fun. awesome. Yeah. 
Sorry, Brian. Go ahead. That's right. <laughs> See, here, here's my fear with watching it with with Laura's. You know when you you have a friend who's like, oh, you got to watch this movie. It's the best. And they spend the whole two hours looking at you to make sure that you're enjoying yourself while watching. <laughs> and then you feel like, the pressure. Yes. And I hate friends. Like I really don't think it's funny. And I feel like it would be two days of Wilmer just waiting for me to laugh and enjoy it. And I would feel such pressure to do so that I, I could never perform under that uh, that amount of stress. So it would just be a very awkward two days with Wilmer Flores. So, uh, so I think I'm going with the luxury box. Disappointing the- Wilmer Flores does sound like a huge bummer. I never want to disappoint Wilmer exactly. Flores. I'd probably just pretend that I'm really happy that I'm watching Friends. I'm not that good of an actor. I <laughs> I'm not that great of an actress, but like, I don't know. I think I'd be so happy that I was with Wilmer Flores that I wouldn't care what I was doing. That I would like, I would enjoy Friends even though I don't like it just because his energy is super infectious. And I'd be like, yeah, this is super great because it's with Wilmer Flores. Whereas if I watched it with like anybody else or by myself, I'd be like, this is crap. <laughs> See, I'll, I'll, I'll shift the question a little bit. If we can like go to the Central Perk pop up that was in the city and, you know, go to a, a Rembrandt's concert and, uh, you know, do Friends things, then I'm all for that. But if it's just sitting ha, around yeah. watching Friends, I'm not. I'm not so into it. Fair. All right. Would you rather David Wright finally come back, finish out his contract in tw- in 2008 form, and gracefully retire, or sign Manny Machado to a seven year deal this off season? Oh my god! This is the hardest one for me. Yep, it is. That just physically like. It, I just felt physical pain inside me thinking about <laughs> having to make that choice. Someone else has to go first. I'm not going first. All right, so I'll take David Wright. Shocker, I know. Uh, <laughs> but if he comes back, uh, you know, tomorrow, and he's 2008 good, this team's going to the playoffs, and he can probably be a part of a team. You never know in the playoffs, but he could probably be part of a team that, uh, you know, wins a World Series, he retires, and then I don't care. If that happens, the Mets can suck for 10, 20, or 30 years. If David Wright is part of a team that wins it all, I know I'm drawing an extra conclusion here, but he was that good uh, if you add him to the mix. So screw it. I'll take it. And even in a fantasy world, I can't imagine the Mets actually signing Machado. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I think I have to choose right here just because you know Chris and I, I think, are, are about the same age. I feel like for guys of our generation, Wright was our Met and represented all the hopes and dreams of being a Mets fan. And his story is ending just so sadly that it's such a huge bummer for him to make a comeback, and not only to come back and be a part of the team, but be a vital, integral part of the team. Not only does that make the on-field product so much better, it just is such a great story. And, I mean, I'm a guy who's prone to crying to begin with. I'm an emotional guy. But, like, David Wright... Like throwing out the final out of the World Series after coming back from spinal stenosis. I mean, I can get misty thinking about that right now. You know, I, I have to go with David Wright. Yeah, I'm picking David Wright too. I can't I can't forsake David Wright. I mean, I and and I know like everyone knows that like Manny Machado is my dream 
like my dream. I, I live in Baltimore, so I watch Manny Machado play on the regular, and he's like by far my favorite non-Mets player. And so, like, the idea of turning down a contract with Manny Machado, like, kills me inside. But David Wright's my favorite baseball player ever. So that kind of trumps that. So just to have him back for one more season, like like you said, Brian, like, just thinking about David Wright, like, coming back from this and actually being good again, even if it's just for one more season, like, makes me so emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> even if they don't make the World Series because of it, like... Just, you know, a few more David Wright, a few more precious David Wright memories in that old memory bank would be priceless. Yeah. All right. Um, would you rather be the 26th person? I'm, I'm being gender neutral here because, Allison, you have to play this one too. Be the 26th person on the Mets roster making the league minimum for three pre-arb seasons or have a front office job with actual responsibilities where job security is linked to your individual performance. And then he makes a note here that his starting salary in the front office is about $145,000 a year. So, did he mean 25th man on the roster? Because if I only get to play in, like, unscheduled doubleheaders, or whatever <laughs> that technicality is, then I'm not taking that. But if, it, if, it, if he meant 25th man... I mean, I think uh, he might mean like I'm, somebody who's on the bubble who comes up a couple of times throughout the year. You know, you're you're Phil Evans. Okay, if that's the rule, then I'll take the front office job. But if you if if it was, you know, last guy on the roster who everybody else hates because he's terrible, I'd still take that because I'm playing baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I picked both. I'm sorry. It, it, in the, with the rules that you established, I'll take the front office job. Yeah, I was full. I was full on being the player, but then, like you said, you're Phil Evans, and it, and I thought about like the fact that I'd have to like shuttle back and forth between Vegas and spend lots of my time being like living minor league life, which sounds terrible. Um, I mean, I know I'd be making so like my understanding is that Phil Evans, like because like how how many does he make league minimum this year because he played on the Mets a couple times. Well, you so. well, you make <clears throat> you make your major league salary on a prorated basis for the time you're with the major league team. But being on the forty gets you out of minor league salary purgatory. Um, I I don't know what the exact number is, but it's higher than normal minor leaguer, and it's I think obviously presumably uh, lower than right. Uh, you know the the major league minimum, but but yeah, I think if you're on the forty, you're um. You're not loaded, but you're you're doing okay. I think that's the impression I get. So, yeah, I think that like because like the idea of being the 26th man, where I'd have to go back and forth between the minors and the majors, and that sounds like exhausting and terrible. Um, I think I'd pick the front office job. But like Chris said, I agree with Chris. If I was on the team all year, even if it was just like getting like my one at bat per week and striking out as a pinch hitter and having everybody boo me, I'd pick that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I go with being the player for three reasons. Uh, Number one, I'm uh, I'm a practical kind of guy and I would get health insurance for life because I played an inning in the major leagues. And so just, just for the healthcare benefits, I'm in. Number two, I would probably get a baseball card out of it, like a professional baseball card that people can trade and do whatever with and that I can give to my children and grandchildren. 
Um, that is number two. Number three, I think... Um, I, I can't imagine how much... Uh, how, how many ridiculous things I would see in a year of playing baseball. How many, you know, not only just great baseball moments, but how many great, like, pseudo-celebrity moments. It would, just, it would be a really fun, fascinating couple of years. So, yeah. Uh, although, you know, downsides, I'd miss my family. Um, you know, Vegas sucks, uh, etc. But I, I, think I'd, I think I'd be the player. Uh, all right, we have a few more of these. We have four more of these. Um, would you rather have John Cruck and John Buck replace Gary Keith and Ron? Joe Buck, rather. Oh replace Gary Keith and Ron. Or... Have the Mets and Yankees trade broadcast teams? Note: In the second scenario, you can still listen to Gary Keith and Ron call Yankees games. Uh, I don't oh want the God. Yankees to have our guys, so the other one. Oh, I couldn't do Crook and Buck. Well, no, I, I didn't say I could do them. <laughs> could you do Michael K and Sterling more than I could do Crook and Buck? Yes. Oh man. I hate but, it, Joe but Buck there's the with, other aspect of I don't want Yankee. In, 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 every part of me hates Joe Buck. I just don't want Yankee fans to have something great in the booth. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm with I'm with Chris. The Yankees don't deserve Gary Keith and Ron. I'm not letting them have them. So I'll pick the. I agree with you, Ryan, that it's the crappier of the two broadcast options for us. But then I'm just going to listen to Howie and Josh all the time. Oh yeah, is it only TV teams? Because then I then I'll yeah. We need more rules. Flush down. <laughs> more rules. Next All time right. we did like we need, we need like multiple addenda to each uh, each question. <laughs> okay. Would you rather section A? Yes. <laughs> All right. Would you rather make out with Fred Wilpon for forty five seconds once, or? Ooh. Have Jeff Wilpon magically appear whenever you're assembling slash installing things at home so he can berate and belittle you. Who's not taking the second one? Me. <laughs> what? <laughs> 45 seconds of misery is way better than having Jeff Wilpon in my house for any reason. But that, that would be amazing. No, it wouldn't. Yes, it would. Why? Tell me why. Because imagine him berating you. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> I don't awesome. want to be. Ber- I, I don't want to be berated by Joe Bluth. Like I, I just it. It seems so horrible to have Jeff Wilpon in my house. Well, no, Joe would be hurtful. <laughs> Jeff Wilpon would be like, uh, like, oh, that happened. <laughs> you don't think he'd be very intimidating? No. Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess I have to be the tie-breaking vote on this. <laughs> I'm definitely. <laughs> I'm definitely picking Jeff Wilpon berating me. I don't, because A, the thought of making out with Fred Wilpon's disgusting, and B, um, I don't assemble things, like, barely ever. So I think that this would be, like, a rare occurrence. So this goes back to Fleshtown needing to needing to give us more rules, because to get around it, I would just make other people assemble things for me. Does that Does that, like, induce the Jeff Wilpon appearing, or does it have to be me? I think you guys are overestimating how bad a forty-five second encounter can be. But that's just no. Me. I think I think I think you're underestimating how amazing it could be. Like, no, Jeff, you're wrong. I know yeah, how to install this shelf. Jeff Wilpon appeared in my house periodically. 
I get to yell at him about Met shit. I get to yell back at him. See, and I get to take out my frustration of years and years of him running this team and me being pissed off about it. I don't like my children who actually love me watch me do stuff around the house because I get embarrassed if I mess something up. So I'm just, <laughs> it's just going to be even worse when there's this sycophant millionaire hanging out in my house telling me I'm I'm using the wrong Allen wrench or something. No, I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I'm not sure that he even knows what an Allen wrench is. No, but he but he knows I'm using the wrong one because he knows everything because <laughs> he's Jeff Wilpon. I'm, I am surprised. <laughs> I, the, the, when I look down the list, I'm like, all right, there's one that's going to be unanimous. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm really glad that we had this one because it was funny. <laughs> I think the next one might be unanimous. Okay. Uh, you and two of your friends of your choosing. Get in a bar fight with Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon, or compete in a televised boxing match against Omar Minaya. So, I'm, I'm going to say fight Harper and Rendon in a bar. One, I don't want to fight Omar Minaya, and two, Omar Minaya would probably knock me out. Uh, bar fight, there's other objects available. Uh, it's a three-on-two situation. I get to pick any two of my friends. One of them is very large. Actually, two of them are very large. So, I feel like We'd have a standing chance. You know, there's a little more at play there, um, and also, you know, if you, I like Bryce Harper, but has anybody had a more like punchable face than Bryce Harper? No. Yeah, I, I, I take I, him on my team in a heartbeat, but also same. I would understand if any. I, I kind of get where Pavlovon was coming from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I I would I would choose the bar fight just for I, I would make him throw a punch and I would I would dodge it and then I'd say that's a clown punch, bro, and then I punch him in the face. Just, just <laughs> to use that line would be would be worth it for me. I'd yeah, I would also fight Harper, but I wouldn't, but. Because I'm, I would never. I don't. I don't think I would ever punch anyone in the face. I can't envision a single scenario unless I was like literally defending myself against like someone punching me, where I would punch someone. Okay, but I, I, imagine the scenario: you're trying to install your cable box, and Jeff Wilpon appears behind you. <laughs> but I would, of the two, because they both involve fighting someone, I would much rather punch Bryce Harper than Omar Minaya. So I'll go with that one. Because Bryce Harper does indeed have the most punchable face of all time. All right. Last one. Would you rather all baseball bench-clearing brawls escalate into a giant tickle match? Or (laughs) all baseball grievances are aired out in a professional wrestling match on live television? Uh, With the caveat that uh, I only had professional wrestling phases when I was um, a child. Uh, (laughs) I'd still rather the latter. Giant tickling match words me out a little bit. It's funny, but I don't actually, I don't need to see like Giancarlo Stanton tickle uh, Chris Sale. Have you guys seen that documentary Tickled? No. No. So there's this documentary about how there is this competitive tickling like organ like underground tickling thing and it's the creepiest thing you've ever seen in your whole life and so uh i would certainly choose the professional wrestling match just because there's also the element of professional wrestling where they'd have to like cut a promo on the other player so you get to hear people be like you know john carlos stanton 
you hit a home run against my team. And just like have these like crazy <laughs> over the top uh, verbal battles before the wrestling match. So I think that'd be worth it. The thought of those I... promos is pretty funny because like if you think about like how like dumb and old school most baseball grievances are, hearing them in the over dramatized like deep voice is really funny. It's like you threw a pitch somewhat near me. <laughs> you did not run out of ground ball. You will pay. <laughs> You wore your hat backwards, you anesthetist. That offends me. See, but I'm still picking the tickling match. Sorry, that's hilarious. I'm less I've, creeped I have out. Questions by about the myself. documentary. Was, that? <laughs> Was the documentary like a Christopher Guest? Thing? No, no, it's real. It's real. And okay. The guy that that like runs the underground tickling ring is like a reclusive millionaire who. Oh my god. Who uh. Like basically funds these videos through like fake individuals that set up these these shell personalities and shell bank accounts to funnel this money from a real estate business into this underground tickling thing. You should definitely watch it, Chris. It's it's super fucked up and great. That's All right. really really bizarre. Yeah. Um, I'm picking tickling though because did you see the one brawl that was that did end up being tickling? I think that was his his inspiration for this one what was it it was like i think it was the cubs and the pirates i can't remember there there was there was a thing on twitter that was a video of like the two teams who were like they were all out on the field so clearly had been like a benches clearing situation but like i guess not all of them wanted to fight each other and then there were like a few guys that were tickling each other (laughs) And I and it was hilarious, and I was like, "Yeah, I want more of this." So I'm picking tickling. Well, that certainly got some interesting opinions out there. <laughs> <laughs> I like these. I wanted to submit them every week. <laughs> yeah, I, I could definitely do with more of these. These are fun. Um, He's really good at it. They're creative. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, just, just, just for a side note here, I, I want to make it clear that I would not be looking forward to making out with Jeff Wilpon. I mean, to Fred Wilpon, but <laughs> I, I stand by my choice. Fair. <laughs> I want Jeff Wilpon to berate me while I assemble IKEA furniture. <laughs> it's my dream. I feel like he would be so ignorant as to what you're even doing. I know it would be funny, right? Because he wouldn't even know, like how, like he's he doesn't even know what IKEA is. He has no concept of that. Yeah. So he'd be like, "Yeah, you're you're turning that tool wrong," and that's like the best insult he can come up with. Yeah. I still just don't want that keep in my house. That's what it comes down to. That's fair. Hey everybody, this is Steve Sipa, and I'm back to go over our minor league players of the week. We just finished week 5, which is May 6th through May 12th, and the Las Vegas 51s went 3-4, and four, and that puts them at 14-23 and 23 for the season, 8 games behind Salt Lake Bees for first place. Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 3-4, and four, and they had a game postponed, and they are 16-17 and 17 for the year, which puts them 4.5 games behind the Trenton Thunder for first place. St. Lucie Mets went 3-3, and they also had a rain postponed game. 
and that leaves them at 15 and 19 for the year, which is seven games behind the Jupiter Hammerheads. And finally, the Columbia Fireflies went 2-4, and four, and they are the only minor league team to be over 500 with a 18-17 and 17 record. And that puts them three games behind the Augusta Green Jackets for first place. Now, our pitcher of the week for Week 5 is Columbia Fireflies left-handed pitcher David Peterson. He made one start this week, and he pitched seven scoreless innings, allowing three hits walking one, and striking out eight. So, like Marcel Renteria last week, uh, this is by far the best start of Peterson's professional career. But, again, like we said last week with Renteria, he only has a couple of them under his belt right now. But, for any pitcher, seven innings of scoreless ball is pretty good. And right now, I'll be honest, I'm just happy that he's on the field. I've alluded to this a couple of times. You know, I knew he was hurt. During spring training, I had reason to believe that he was hurt a little worse than the twist, the tweaked knee that the Mets said he was dealing with. But regardless, he has four starts under his belt now. His numbers are okay. The stuff doesn't seem to be diminished. So I guess all is well. Uh, I mean, if he was still dealing with physical issues, I think that there would be some kind of reflection of that somewhere, be it in his numbers, how his stuff looks, whatever. But there isn't, so I guess we're all in the clear. Now, when the season started, I know a lot of people were kind of surprised that Peterson was assigned to Columbia. But really, in the long run, it doesn't matter. Him pitching a half season in Columbia and then a half season in St. Lucie instead of pitching the entire season in St. Lucie, whatever. It's not like he's a factor in the Mets' plans for this year or for next, so it really doesn't matter. And you know what? There are talented hitters in the South Atlantic League and there's talented hitters in the Florida State League. And the overall difference in talent isn't massive enough to really make a pronounced difference in his baseball development, especially for like 50 innings or so. So it doesn't really matter. And in his start this week, he really looked like he was toying with the hitters. You know, he was hitting all of his spots. He was using all of his pitches. Everything was working. So if the Mets want him to get a little confident, get used to being, you know, get used to the life of a minor leaguer and whatever, spending a little time in Columbia is fine. Plus, with him down there, it gives us, by far, the best overall rotation in the Mets system right now. In addition to Peterson, the Columbia Fireflies also have Anthony Kay, they have Chris Vile, they have Tony DeBrell, Marcel Renteria, Joe Cavallaro, Jake Simon. Uh, the first two are obviously guys that are, are already on our top prospect lists. Those next two, Vile and DeBrell, they're guys that I've been very vocal and bullish about. And those last three... Uh, Renteria, Cavallaro, and Simon, they aren't guys to sleep on. Maybe they're not going to have the highest upsides, but all three could have situational value, be it reliever or back-end starter, whatever it is. Maybe not Cavallaro. No, no offense to him, but uh, of all of the guys listed, his ceiling is probably the lowest. Maybe Simon's is the lowest, but he's also a very different pitcher. You know, he's a was a high school left-hander, so there's a lot of ways that his career could go, and he's still much further back in his development than Cavallaro is. But I digress now. On to our hitter of the week. This guy went 11 for 27 with two doubles, two triples, a homer, eight RBI, one walk, and ten strikeouts, and he is a throwback, and he is Binghamton right fielder Johan Urena. 
And I know it feels like Urania has been around forever, but he actually is only 23. Uh, he last appeared on a top prospect list here at Amazing Avenue in 2016 when he was ranked the Mets' 21st top prospect. In the 2015 list, the year before he was ranked even higher, he was named the Mets' 14th uh, top prospect list. Now, what caused his fall from grace was not one, but two broken hemate bones. He's a switch hitter. He hits from the left side and the right side. Both of those bones fractured. Uh, the hemate bone is a very small bone in the wrist. It's in the hand by the wrist. Um, but despite its little size, it has a pretty big impact on players when it's damaged. Basically, when it is broken or damaged, bruised, whatever, um, it reduces the player's ability to kind of grip the bat. It causes pain in the wrist. And that causes pain when he swings. So it makes it harder to swing a bat. And it makes it harder to swing it with authority. Uh, Beyond the Box Score did a study uh, a couple of years ago. And they concluded that the majority of players that have broken uh, MA bones do return to prior norms. But it takes roughly about a season to do so. So if you look at the numbers that Urania was putting up, it actually plays out just like they said it would. When he returned to the field in 2016, he did play a career high uh, 115 games, but he hit 225, 301, 350, which is pretty crappy, all things considered. In 2017, a little bit uh, f- more more time after the injury, he hit 282, 364, 437, and he hit a career high 11 home runs. So you can see a very big difference in the numbers. One in the season immediately after the injury, and then one another year removed. And in addition to Urania being fully healthy, I think that he he's in the best shape of his life. Um, he's always been a kind of thick, stocky guy, but he has trimmed a little bit. Not massive, but he's trimmed down a little bit, and it is showing, I think, his bat speed, whether because of that injury or just some of the bad weight that he was starting to put on or whatever. But the bat speed looked like it was starting to slow down last year. And this year, the bat speed is looking a lot better. And then you combine that with the fact that he's gotten better against recognizing spin over the last couple of years and putting together better at bats. And he actually might be able to fulfill some of those 50-hit tool grades that he was getting projected to have a couple of years ago, 50 you know, being major league average or so. And in addition, he's able to play the outfield now, which is kind of surprising. His destiny always seemed to be first base, again, because he was kind of a thick, stocky guy and had limited mobility. But he played a little bit of the outfield last season. He got reps there in the Instructional League last season, and he's now Binghamton's primary right fielder. Uh, He isn't exactly natural. He's never going to be. But with John Mora out there and Champ Stewart out there in center field, at least his defensive shortcomings can kind of be mitigated a bit. He has a strong arm, and he could read the ball off the bat decently enough, so that's all you could ask of him, really. He sees the ball, he runs over to it, if he gets it, if he gets it, if not, not. And if need be, he has the arm to rocket the ball back into the infield. So, those are our players for the week. 
and check back in next week. We'll go over the Mets minor league players for week six. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you for listening we truly appreciate it go to amazingavenue.com where you can read wonderful pieces by the folks you heard tonight as well as lots of other amazing avenue contributors we're doing some really fun stuff lately uh and you know when the season is a little bit rough like this i think it's great to be reading a site that doesn't just focus on the day-to-day of the of the major league team but has a nice focus on the minors and kind of looks big picture at some stuff and so I can't recommend AmazingAvenue.com enough. I'm proud to be a part of it. And, uh, yeah, you can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find our show, this show you're listening to right now, at blogtalkradio.com, at Apple Podcasts, at Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That helps us quite a bit. Um, We are working on getting a new email address for the podcast. So for now, just, I guess, tweet at us. And I'm just now realizing we had someone tweet us a question and we forgot to answer it. So um, I promise next week we will get to that. My apologies. I believe that was... uh, I forget who it was now. I should look it up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We should have prepared for that better. But anyway, we are getting a new email address, so um, stay tuned for that. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at BrianNeedsAnApp. Allison is at PhD. Chris is at Chris McShane. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. So we got the Diamondbacks coming to town right now. They're they're ailing. Maybe we can knock out a couple of wins. That would be a nice thing. So we'll find out what happens next time we're all together on Amazing Avenue Audio. And so, until next time, let's go Mets.